I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. In space, no one can hear you say, Hi, Tuesday! <laughs> uh, and, uh, yes, this is our special Halloween episode. And we are not celebrating Halloween alone this week, are we, Kiki? We are not. Will our mystery guest enter and sign in, please? You can't see, but I'm signing my name on the whiteboard right now. Hi, this is Devo Spice. Uh, yeah, Devo Spice, our very good friend, the man behind Fump Fest, which we have talked about many times on this show. Yeah, Fump Fest are our frequent, uh, our frequent uh, collaborator and uh, sponsor here on the show. So, uh, yeah, we we finally get the man behind all of the uh, fun. Yeah, the man behind the Fomp, the man behind Fomp Fest, uh, the man behind the comedy rap I do, and the 157 other things that I have on my plate. I have a lot of plates. Yeah. Have, them or, have them or other podcasts? Yeah, I do three other podcasts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is Halloween time, and as we said on the show before, Disney as a brand doesn't really do horror, and we really wanted to have a horror movie as our Halloween episode. So we had to dig through the archives of the recently acquired 20th Century Fox Library. And we came up with Alien. Um, that classic Disney movie about the princess in space who meets her Prince Charming. It turns out to be a robot. and You know, it's, it's a mess. Does the alien count as a Disney princess? No, I was talking about uh, Ripley. Yeah, I think princess. Ripley absolutely counts as a Disney princess. <laughs> I mean, this is a slasher film in space. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it goes through all of the tropes of a slasher film. Even down to the final girl. Yes. <laughs> so, like, this is full-on horror to me. That's why we chose it. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. This is, this is a classic uh, by, you know, it, it's always made, like... You know, if you ever see, like, you know, top 50, top 100 horror movies ever made, Alien always makes the list. So much so that other franchises tried to copy it because we had the Leprechaun and Jason in space. Uh, Leprechaun in space is actually a good movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, and I I will actually argue that uh, Jason in space is also <laughs> oh Jason X is is fantastic yeah, yeah that's Jason. that's a, that's a highlight of that series but Leprechaun in space yeah. is I have no inside knowledge of this and uh, but I and I have no way of proving it but I, after watching it I am about ninety five percent positive that Leprechaun in space came about because. They bought the rights to a screenplay that was really good, just about space marines and this this you know this whole plot of that. And then they said, "Hey, we need another alien movie. Take this script and put the leprechaun or another leprechaun movie. Take this script and put the leprechaun in it." And presto, leprechaun in space, because that yeah. leprechaun had no business being in that movie. Yeah, it was probably one of those troll two things. Yeah, exactly. You know, where they just they just bought a script and they went, eh, we need a sequel to something. Yeah. 
Um, you may be right about that. Um, well, Warwick Davis still got paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Alien is I really wish I could have experienced it in the context of 1979. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing um, when I was watching it. I was like, this must have been awesome, like in the theaters when it came out. You know, I was too young. Uh, I saw it when it came to cable. Um, and oddly, I don't think I watched it since. So, like, I haven't seen this movie in 30 some odd years. So, like, you know, watching it again just this afternoon, it was like almost it's like seeing it again for the first time. But, like, all I could think was this must have been amazing on the big screen in 1970s, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is before either one, either me or Kiki even existed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, this was just, just easy before our time, uh, of of existence but this to me you know is speaking as the 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 only the only f female on on the podcast here everybody now knows this as this is the movie with ripley in it you know right. this is this is the sigourney weaver movie yeah in 1979 nobody knew who sigourney weaver was Right. Like we'll get into it, but this was like her first movie mm -hmm. ever. She was a theater actress who was cast in a movie. And watching the movie for the first time, if you have no context for this movie, there is nothing to give away that this is her movie. Yeah, because she doesn't when really get many lines during the first part of this film. And you think that she's just a background character. She's also the youngest person in the cast, I believe. Mm. She is the most delicate and, you know, feminine looking in the cast, too. There's there's one other woman, but she's yeah. more grizzled looking. Her hair's cut short. You know, she she looks more like the, the men in the cast um, in the way she is styled. You know, she looks like she's been through things. So Ripley looks very much like the love interest. If you were going to do like, what is this cast thing? So in the context of the time and from how you know the cast, if you're sitting down to watch this movie and you're a typical moviegoer and you know who this cast is, you're looking at it and you go, yeah, Tom Skerritt. He's going to kill the alien and that that hot chick that nobody knows about. He's going to get he's going to get the girl at the end. Yep. That's the typical moviegoer at the beginning of this film in 1979. And have, have you seen Tom that? It um... looks buff in this film. You know, mm -hmm. they've got his his sleeves rolled up. He's got a little bit of muscle. He's got the, the manly beard. He's got the you know, he's the captain. And Sigourney Weaver is styled very feminine, very delicate with the hair. He's going to kill the alien. He's going to get the girl. They're going to fly off in space. Bob's your uncle. That's the movie, right? Yep. Man, I would have loved to have seen this movie in 1979 with no context. <laughs> Did and you see the review that, that uh, there was a re uh, reviewer named Adam Shafto 
uh, talked about his wife's review of this movie. This is Alien is a movie where nobody listens to the smart woman and then they all die except for the smart woman and her cat. Four stars. <laughs> yeah, I I put on on Facebook last night and I mean, you know, uh, it, that base basically the same thing. It was like time to sit down and watch Alien, a movie about the woman who told you so and a bunch of people who would have who would have lived if they'd have listened to the woman who told you so, except right. for Kane, who would have always died because Kane is the biggest idiot in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it in the plot, but there was never any saving Kane. Let's just right. let's just put that there. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about the background of how this movie got made because it was it was made by two people who are who are interesting for different reasons. <laughs> so yeah, we got uh, we got Ridley Scott who has made some of the more interesting films in history. Um. Most people will know him for uh, not only this, but Blade Runner, uh, Thelma and Louise, mm-hmm. Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, The Martian. I mean, <laughs> this man has got one of the most varied and interesting film careers ever. Really fascinating director. This film came about because he saw Star Wars. I was going to mention Star Wars because Star Wars had just come out a few years prior. Yeah, this came out. Uh, Alien came out in 79. Star Wars came out in 77. And what he loved about Star Wars was that he saw Star Wars and he went, man, that is a future that looks lived in and gritty. Mm-hmm. And he loved the fact that it just looked lived in and gritty. And he went, I want to know what's going on with just the workaday people in a universe like that. And so he teamed up with a guy named Dan O'Bannon, who is a screenwriter and also director, and wanted a script that was kind of like, hey, what do, what goes on in a lived-in gritty universe like that? You know, what's going on in a Star Wars type universe for the rest of the people? And so that's kind of where where Alien comes from at its very core. They wanted a horror movie that looked just really, really lived in and real. O'Bannon had made a space film before, but he had made it a comedy with John Carpenter, strangely enough. (laughs) Um, It was called Dark Star. And it was about a group of people who were on a spaceship that was slowly deteriorating and it was a comedy but apparently it originally started out as a horror movie and so he really wanted to do a horror movie in space (laughs) (laughs) and so now he had the chance to do that so he took that idea of a small group of people stuck on a spaceship and this time he got to do it as a horror Dan O'Bannon is the entire reason 
why zombies say brains. Really? Yeah. The fact that when you think of zombies and you go brains, that is Dan O'Bannon. Because he also uh, wrote and directed The Return of the Living Dead in 1985. Mm Mm-hmm. And that movie is the entire reason zombies say brains. They also say send more paramedics. They also say send more paramedics. It's a brilliant movie. If you've <laughs> never seen it, go watch it. Um, it is a horror comedy and it is both horrific and hilarious. Um, but that is the entire re- Before that movie, zombies never gave a, a, a flying flip about brains. Uh, <laughs> By the way, we we didn't actually give the the warning. Um, I actually censored myself there, but uh, this is an R-rated movie, um, R-rated podcast. Uh, so hide there. the kids. Yeah, <laughs> that that's your one warning. I censored myself. We're not gonna bother to do that anymore. Yeah. Fuck. Fuckity. Fuck. 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 There you go. <laughs> don't listen to don't listen to this with your kids. <laughs> yeah. There you go. If if the kids were in the room, they're not anymore. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there's blood and gore and f-bombs and uh titties in this movie so there you go but yeah that that movie dan o'bannon is the guy that came up with zombies craving brains i i don't exactly know why he came up with that there's a reason in the movie if you watch the movie there's a reason that they crave brains specifically but after that movie it became a trope that zombies specifically crave brains instead of just generic human flesh so uh yeah thank the writer of alien for <laughs> that and uh 1985 that's the that's the exact point that zombies began to crave brains that's yeah it wasn't before that isn't that weird that's very it's weird. It's younger than any of us that zombies crave brains. How bizarre. And it's so Yeah. And so ingrained in the in, in the in the medium. Yeah. So um they they got together with um a bunch of other people, um specifically H.R. Giger to create look of the alien and a bunch of other really cool people got uh at Shepperton Studios in London. Um, and where most of your other favorite uh, science fiction films have been filmed (laughs) and uh, put this thing together with a teeny tiny cast and and I mean there you go I I wanted to talk a minute about the alien as a franchise because this you know this is a franchise that still exists to this day and even getting a crossover with the Predator series. Yeah, all Alien because vs. Predator. Of That's also one, a video game. Yeah. Yeah, all because of one in joke that the set designers put in. It was not intended that Alien and Predator cross over. That was a set design joke. The set designers just thought it would be funny in one of the Predator movies to have an alien head. In the trophy room. Hmm. And they had one, you know, because one of the set designers had worked on one of the alien movies. And so they just had it in their prop room. So they put it on the wall being like, hey, people who like both series will see this and they'll be like, ha, funny Easter egg. 
Oh, were they wrong? Everyone and the made... fans went nuts, and they were like, "These two film franchises exist in the same universe. It's officially canon." <laughs> and it overtook everybody's brain meats so heavily that everybody went nuts and just demanded it be a thing and that's how we got it alien versus predator it was never meant to be a specific sequel bait it was like one dude on set making a joke they really underestimate nerds they, they really, really did yeah <laughs> never do that we we will we will latch onto it and make your life hell <laughs> this movie sort of inspired metroid oh really because you got samus obviously and you have ripley but the main villain of the of the games besides mother brain is the alien named ridley as in named after ridley scott Hmm. cool yeah and and of course the idea of the reveal of Samus being a woman. Yeah. You know, you've got this big space marine armor and everybody's like, oh yeah, Samus, he's doing this and he's doing that. And it's like, nope, woman. And depending on how you finish the the game, it's a woman in her underwear. (laughs) Yeah. I never saw that ending, but okay. (laughs) I mean, if you have the regular ending, you should just take the, the helmet off and you have see... Eight bit Samus woman, you know, long woman head in on a, on the armor. But if you get like the perfect score, you get her in a bikini, much like Ripley in this movie, where she ended the movie in her underwear. Mm. Okay. I have never finished any game with anything close to a perfect. <laughs> I I am a gamer. I am not a proficient gamer. <laughs> I have not finished that many games, much less finished them with a perfect score. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so let's talk about this cast. Uh, <laughs> literally almost everyone in this movie now considered a legend in Hollywood. Uh, some of them had pretty good careers beforehand, mm. and some of them were complete unknowns. The- yeah, so I didn't realize John Hurt was in this film until I watched it again. You, the you the Mel Brooks fan, didn't know. <laughs> That John Doctor Hurt Who played fan. the same character. And the Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. no. I, I knew it was the same guy in in Spaceballs. I didn't know that it was John Hurt who played the Doctor on on the 50th anniversary special. And I was like, oh. And I had to look it up to confirm it. He does look a little bit different in his younger years, yeah. Yeah, he he looks very different, and it's also he doesn't have the goatee that he had when he played the Doctor. So it was like yeah. I, I I would not have recognized him if I didn't see his name come up on screen. Yeah. Um. Well, let's just start with with John Hurt. Uh, we we have mentioned him before on on the show. Um. Black Cauldron. Yeah, Black Cauldron. When we when we did our Black Cauldron episode, we mentioned him. But uh, yeah, Doctor Who fans will remember him as the War Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um. If uh, you are a fan of the uh, 1984 film uh, that was made in 1984. Uh, he is the the star of that as well. He was, of course, the the on screen narrator for uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller. 
uh, and uh, pops up here and there uh, in many, many other things. Um, just uh, just left us uh, a couple of, couple of years ago, uh, 2017 uh, it was. And there was um, a funny story on how Hurt got in this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently Hurt was the first choice to be in this movie as, as Kane. But uh, he was already contracted to do another movie that was filming in South Africa. So they had he, he go. They went with John Finch as Kane, and then right before they started filming, uh, Finch got sick. While he was dealing with his health issues, he was out. Hertz' uh, movie in South Africa fell through, so now he was available, and now he's back in the movie. I thought you were yep. going to say he auditioned for it by putting a glove on his face. I'm like, look, I can do the thing with my face. And, no. <laughs> yeah. the, um, that would be fascinating. <laughs> I heard something ends up on my face. Look. But uh, yeah, he, he ended up uh, earning a BAFTA for, for this uh, even. so, uh, And uh, reprising the role, as, as you said, in in Spaceballs. In, in Spaceballs, yeah. And yeah. when that when the creature burst out, you know, during that scene, he runs off screen. I just, to myself, I'm like, hello, my baby. Hello, my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they uh, ended up uh, really kind of uh, boosting his career. He, he already had a good career. I'm not, not saying that. John Hurt was well-known, uh, especially in England already. Um, but Alien was an international smash. So mm-hmm. it it really did uh, up his career, as it did for pretty much everybody in the film. As the uh, captain of the Nostromo, as I've already said, uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, we haven't talked about him on the show before. Um, he is popped up in, in a lot of things. He had uh, done M.A.S.H., by this point, uh, which came out in 1970, um, he would go on to be in the movie version of The Dead Zone, not the TV uh, adaptation later. Uh, Top Gun, he would be in a 90s TV series called Picket Fences that I remember watching as a child. Um, that would uh, get him an Emmy. Uh, so there's that. But uh, at the time, he was he was already known uh, for his his role in Mash, especially. But like I said, he he was positioned to the audience at least to look like he was going to come out of this as the hero. You know, um, he initially didn't want to be in the film. Because it was extremely low budget at first, and it didn't have um, Ridley Scott attached as the director when it first came to him. And so he was like, mm, I don't know, super low budget, you, you don't have a, a firm director, you know, locked on it. So... Uh, he he waited until they they had more of a budget and Ridley Scott had put his name on it um, before he he signed up. Uh, Do you know what the budget was? I'm I'm on the IMDb page and I'm not seeing it. Um, the original budget was about eleven million. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the original box office uh came in at about uh 
106 million so it it made it back pretty good return especially (laughs) in 1979 money yeah um so yeah um like i said this was sigourney weaver's uh first big film i'm not sure this was i don't think this was her first film ever her first leading role in a film yeah but this was her her kind of first film that she was really known for i guess i can't remember if she was the very last person to be cast or one of the last but yeah she she was everybody else was pretty much in place by the time she was brought on um she was mostly known for theater. Uh, she had done Broadway, I think, by that point. And apparently her audition was just fabulous. Um, so that's that's how she landed the role. She got a, a BAFTA for this one as well. Um, nice. Bless, bless the BAFTAs for being more open to genre films because the... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, American awards are not not really even to this day not not great for him. Yeah, she was also I think the the youngest person in in the cast. I think she was just slightly younger than Veronica Cartwright. Um who was the two women I think were the the youngest in the cast. Um, that was another thing that really gave the film that kind of gritty realness was that everybody in this cast was a little bit older than you would normally see in horror films. Horror films were very yeah, you much don't get that the, college age, you know, good looking people. Yeah, it's always like teenagers, high school, college. You know, but these were like space truckers. Yeah. You know, it's a space trucker film. Everybody's, you know, they're in their 30s and 40s and they're working for a living and they're grizzled and they're, you know, they're space truckers, you know, <laughs> which I I like. Um, and I, I love the the way it gives the the edge on the film you really feel for them as a cast they're just normal people doing their job and then suddenly alien <laughs> um and, you know and these are people with lives we hear uh, ripley talking about trying to get home for her daughter's birthday yeah but yeah we we talked more about scorny weaver's career when we did uh holes and uh she's a legend uh if you don't know her got no sympathy for her go go watch her stuff veronica cartwright is the the other woman in the cast uh she had a bit of a miscommunication when she was cast she really really wanted and auditioned for the part of ripley and she got a message from her uh agent and it just said you got the part and she didn't realize that it just meant you got the part in the movie not you got the part of Ripley, so she kind of showed showed up, uh, thinking that she got the part of Ripley, and didn't realize that the part she had gotten was actually Lambert. Oops. <laughs> and she apparently hated the character because the character was too emotional. Yeah, she kind of wanted to be the, the the badass. Yeah, the more badass, tougher, you know, take no shit kind of character, and well, instead, yeah. 
While Ripley um, is your final girl, Lambert definitely fills the role of sque- a scream queen. A little bit. Well, she's the one who gets all the blood on her during that scene. Yeah. Veronica Cartwright was the one that had more film experience. She had been a child actress. Uh, she had starred uh, as a child in the films The Children's Hour and The Birds. Yeah, slabity now, now, now. I went to town to kill me. The second movie in a row where, where we mentioned the birds. <laughs> yeah, the second movie in a row, I actually ended up singing that song. But she she ended up being in um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 70s version, Right Stuff, which the Beast, <laughs> I mean, you know, she's, she's in a lot of fascinating movies. She ended up being... Um, interesting for a couple of reasons um one being that she is of course the only other woman on the crew uh i think we'll we'll save the other reason for a little bit uh later shall we and we're gonna move on to uh harry dean stanton he uh he plays brett in there um Harry Dean Stanton was a stone-cold legend. I don't even know how to begin to talk about his career, honestly. He was in absolutely everything. He was always kind of the old man character actor that's standing in the background in a cowboy hat. (laughs) I mean... If you want to talk about the Disney connection, he was in the Avengers. Yeah, he he was in the Avengers. Um, you got a condition, son. Yeah, um, and we did we did mention we did mention him a, a little bit in in that um, when I when I mentioned his his cameo, but he has a, the much bigger part here. So Green Mile, uh, Cool Hand Luke. Godfather Part 2, Escape from New York, Christine, uh, you know, I could go on and on. I will not um, go look him up. Always worth your while. Always a treat when he's on screen, as I said last time we mentioned him. We got our our evil Bilbo. (laughs) (laughs) We we talked about Ian Holm uh, when we talked about Ratatouille, but yeah, I- Ian Holm is is back um, in this. He plays Ash, the spoiler alert android, uh, who is the the science officer on the ship and is discovered to be working against the crew. And he's fun. He was kind of the possibly. The one who had been in the most number of films by the time of this one, because he had already been in 20 films. He may not have been the one that had been working the longest, but he'd probably been working the most. Mm. Definitely. So, yeah, um, he was an old old hand by that time. And uh, we've got uh, Yafik Koto in here uh, as well, rounding out the crew. He is uh, Parker, who is the chief engineer, and his biggest role uh, by that point had been uh, Dr. Kananga in uh, Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. He, oh, cool. he wanted to be 
in Alien so badly that he reportedly turned down a film that would have paid him much, much more money. I'm, I do not know exactly what that film was, but uh, he he said that uh, it it would have uh, it would have paid him a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, in a different timeline, Yafik Koto would have been Jean-Luc Picard. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, he was he was also one of the people who was in serious consideration for that role. So it it, it is interesting to think about the now, timeline where where he would have have been John. Yeah, Lincoln. I mean, for 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 the Star Trek thing, I mean, in terms of Star Trek, a lot of people really like Cisco because he was the first black captain. And a lot of people knew Patrick Stewart because of Star Trek. He probably would not have gotten that role if his Professor X in the X-Men movies. Yafik Koto is Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. So it, it is just um, interesting. Um, Yafik Koto uh, sadly left us in March of this very year. Oh. Um, so he was, he was 81. Uh, he had already had a, a good long career by the time he, he ended up in, in Aliens. So the alien was played, uh, by a Nigerian art student that this was his only film. Uh, he was six feet, 10 inches tall and he was cast because somebody saw him in a bar somebody working on the film saw him in a bar in soho and went wow you do not look proportioned like a human could we put you in a suit and <laughs> make you move really weirdly um and uh his his name was uh and i hope i'm pronouncing this right balaji badeo and it it really was just because he was very, very slender, very tall, and his limbs were strangely, unusually proportioned um, compared to the average human. And so they thought that when you put all the prosthetic costume on him, people would not believe that there was an actual human inside of it, that it was a, a puppet or something. And the last member of the cast is a woman named Helen Horton. Interesting uh, Disney connection. She happens to be the grandmother of Lily James, who is the live-action Cinderella in the recent uh, Disney Cinderella film. Hmm. And she was mostly a, a stage uh, theater actor in, in Britain and had a very interesting voice to do the the voice of mother the computer in Nostromo the you know the the ship so um yeah let's uh let's dig into this plot and talk about our our favorite bits our favorite uh happenings stuff we like stuff we hate this like i said this really goes through a lot of the horror tropes like it's almost like this movie is the mummy in space. 
and I'll yeah, tell but you keep why. in mind we're talking about 1979 here. This was before a lot of those tropes were established. This movie helped establish a lot of those tropes. True, but like if you've ever seen like the Mummy, like you open they they enter a tomb and they release the evil, and then the evil goes after them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not they, not they. Cain. Cain. <laughs> I need, I need to talk about Cain. Go for it. The dumbest person possibly in film history. <laughs> Cain was always going to die. The rest of the Nostromo probably they didn't have to die. If they'd have listened to Ripley, probably everybody on the Nostromo makes it out alive except for Kane. Well, Ash was the one who let him in, right? Yeah, because he broke quarantine. As we've learned in the last two years, you don't break quarantine. Right. Well, not all of us have learned that. Ash was under orders to break, well, not necessarily to break quarantine, but he was under orders to get a specimen and was told the crew was expendable. So that's why he broke, he he, he disobeyed uh, Ripley. Yeah, but Ash is not the entire crew. Right, but he was the one who opened the door. <laughs> the rest of the crew continues to not listen to Ripley, okay? <laughs> there are many many points in this movie where if you'd have just listened to Ripley you'd have gotten out of this a lot. Mm-hmm. I agree that Ash being there complicates the problem. You know, th- there is a android fly in this ointment. We're in the we're in the, you know, the Nostromo gets woken up, you know, mother mother detects this alien signal and is like, "Ooh, an alien, let us go get it, you know. Because Mother, and therefore the Wayland yutani Corporation, knows what's up from the beginning. It's pretty obvious. Are they named up in this movie at all? Wayland yutani I do not think so. I don't think that, that becomes, that name ever never gets mentioned, I think, until, at least until the sequel. So much of the alien lore is post this film yeah we never Let, even learned ripley's honest. first name until the second movie yeah and she's just ripley we don't find out that she's ellen ripley till later on yeah I, most most of the characters are single named yeah yeah um but they're sent to go you know find this signal and so they send the the away team you know, as it were, to go down and look, and they find our first time we ever see the space jockey, which is really cool. It is. If you dig into the behind-the-scenes stuff, the way this thing was painted, it's it was built on like a like a rotating platform so that they could put the the camera kind of wherever and move the actors wherever and it would still get the right shot you know it it, brilliant the way they they did all of this stuff alien really you know groundbreaking gets thrown around a lot but alien really was groundbreaking in thousands of ways um filmmaking ways storytelling ways 
the foundations of tropes, as Devo Spice has already pointed out. But, you know, they find this space jockey and immediately Lambert's like, yeah, okay, I've had enough, you know, bye. (laughs) (laughs) The smart move would be to leave now. Something has burst out of this. And this is where we get the foreshadowing of the chest burster. Something has killed the space jockey, you know, let's leave. And Kane is like, hey, I found a creepy cave. Let's go in it. I, Kane, will go into this creepy cave by myself. And he goes in it. And Ripley's like, um, I've discovered that uh, this is a warning. This message is a warning to stay away. It's not an SOS. It's telling people to leave. And they're like, oh, well, Kane's out of range. He'll 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 find out, you know, or the crew is out of range. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the whole crew. Something in that ship is is uh blocking the signal, right? Ripley's like, we have to find the crew and tell them it is a warning, not an SOS. They are in danger. And Dallas, I think it is, is like, well, you know, if they're in danger, they'll they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> because nobody listens to Ripley. Like, this is point one. That's not even Ash, I don't think. That's that's screwing them up right now. Like, that. that's like Dallas. He's like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure if they're in danger, they'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but, so, um, I, I may be wrong. That, that may actually be Ash. I, I don't remember uh, at this moment. But, so point one where somebody should have listened to, to Ripley... Um, and Kane's like, I'm just going to go down into the scary cave and just poke around all by my lonesome, which is already a bad idea. After we found a dead alien, which has been murdered by something. I know, he's just sitting there in his giant video gaming chair playing video games, and all of a sudden he gets, you know, exploded at the chest. That sucks. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, he was hit by a red shell. Yeah. (laughs) So he goes down and he finds this laser fog. By the way, those lasers were borrowed from The Who. The band <laughs> The Who. They borrowed the lasers from The Who. That's awesome. True story. Isn't that awesome? But he goes down and he finds this laser this laser fog and he goes, "Hmm. This there's this fog that seems to have a reaction when you break the surface." And I'm like, you mean like a tripwire laser defense system? Like a like a thing that you shouldn't mess with? Like something that you should run away if you find it? You know? Like a like a warning system or a defense system or a weapon system? You idiot? <laughs> well, I mean, it's again horror movie trust, so it has to be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, like I said, Kane was already gonna die. Then, as, he falls as they established it. in 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 um uh the cabin in the woods, the they have to trespass. The the people have to trespass. Yeah, another really good Sigourney Weaver movie. Go yes. watch it. Yeah. Um, but then he falls through it, so you know he's already toast. And then he finds an egg, and he looks at it and he goes. Hmm, it appears to be entirely enclosed. You know, like eggs are. <laughs> the way that eggs are. 
You complete fucking moron. Like like an egg. Ugh. There's a life form inside it. I wonder what happened. What will happen? Well, no, like, when do you find eggs and you go, oh, look, look at this, like, you know, egg that just has holes all through it. Like, no, you idiot. Eggs are enclosed because they enclose things. Ugh. This, I hate Kane. <laughs> Love John Hurt. Hate Kane. <laughs> John Hurt. Fine. I'm I'm fine with John Hurt. I don't know enough about him to, to love him or hate him, but like John Hurt, fine actor, but Kane deserved to die, and I'm glad he went in a very painful way. <laughs> like <laughs> you deserve what you got, Kane. We get you know the first ever face hugger. And and yeah, they wanna bring him on, but quarantine we he's been in contact with an alien an unknown alien entity we have a we have protocols yeah it's company policy yeah can we talk about the company for a moment i mean we have mentioned the name but like like these people really don't want to be doing this but the company is kind of making them do it like this is yeah they job. said they'd, they'd lose all their money if they didn't investigate and that was a lot of things like like a lot of the characters um Parker especially is really concerned about his shares. Yeah. That is his entire character for most of the movie. Am I going to get a share even though I didn't go on the planet? Am I going to get my money for this? And it's like, you're contracted to this job. You're going to get money whether you do anything or not. And, yeah. you know, there's that scene where where he's having this conversation with Ripley over the whole thing and then... I love that Ripley kind of loses her shit on him finally. She's like, look, you will get your money. Shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Uh, Ash people, people do forget that this film series was very specifically, I mean, let's just say it. This film series was an anti-capitalist film series from the beginning. Yeah, and that's what the always gets me with, with these kind with more modern audiences is like, well, when did this series get, for lack of a better term, whoa? Because like, since the beginning, have you actually watched the movies? Literally the first minute of the movie, yeah. The whole point of this movie is these people are kind of tied to, you know, if they don't do this mission, they will lose their jobs. These people have families at home. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, Ripley has a daughter and she's trying to get home to her daughter. But she has to do this job first. Or she can't feed her daughter. Yeah, the the point of this film is the company decided every living thing on this ship was expendable in order to get them a biological sample of an alien life. And people kind of forget that. Because it's never said on screen. Because what? when Ripley finds this out, it's all written on words on the computer screen. Well, Ash does repeat it in the scene where they find out that he's an android, you know, because he attacks Ripley for finding out the secret of his mission. And he tries to kill her and the crew, you know, uh, Parker, you know, and, and Lambert come in and discover him trying to kill Ripley. Ironically, in the in a similar way that the alien 
face hugger would kill people because he rolls up a a nudie mag and starts stuffing it down her windpipe to kill her. Yeah, that's mimicking I mean, the face hugger, which I love. Like he could have easily gone with the pillow and smothering, but no, we're going. Or just he's stronger. We it's proven that he's stronger than the humans because he Parker, takes on Parker. Yeah, yeah. He, Parker comes and tries to rip him off of 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 Ripley, <laughs> and he can't get him off. You know because. Ash is stronger. And so he could have easily just choked her or yeah. crushed her skull or something. But he takes a porno mag and starts shoving it down her throat. You know, Dan O'Bannon said that he tried to put in as much <sighs> violation imagery, mm. let's say, mm-hmm. in this film as he could. Because he said he wanted men specifically to cross their legs. So what you have is a male <laughs> character shoving a shaft down, forcibly shoving a shaft down a woman's throat. Yeah. And specifically a pornographic because it's, they end up in one of the men's cabins. I'm not sure whose exactly it's supposed to be. But it's papered with all sorts of pornographic images of women that have been cut out of of porno mags. Probably Brett's. Well, no, it's it's yeah, it's it's probably Brett's. I mean, you know, he seems like that kind of guy, but it, honestly, it could have been any of them. True. I mean, um, and it's honestly the only time we see nudity in the film, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we do get the Sigourney Weaver butt shot. Yeah, we do get her in the the thin tank top and, and underwear at the end of the movie, but there really isn't actual nudity of the actors in the film, but there are the pornographic images taped on the wall. They are all over the wall in this scene, and she is is being, you know, attempted murder at least. Uh, with the magazine, uh, which I find fascinating. But after that scene, when they redo, um, when they put Ash back together so they can access his memory, they interrogate him on what his mission was, and he repeats what was written, just in case the audience didn't get it. Yeah. Um, well, you can't assume the audience can read. That that just ends badly. <sighs> You're talking to a teacher. I I don't assume anybody can read anymore. Trust me. But he does repeat it. And he says, mother revoked all of my protocols. Yeah, it's, I have to get the alien sample and all other protocols are revoked. I don't have to save any of your lives. You're, you were expendable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a corporation willingly putting their employees in at in danger for profit. Like that Again, never happens. Yeah, especially over and the last this is two years. Completely not their original mission. No. Yeah, this becomes so much more believable now. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this movie in current year 2021, <laughs> when so many people have discovered that yes, your job will put you in absolute risk you know even if even if that's not what the job you signed up for 
because this is absolutely not the job they signed up for. It says at the beginning of the film what the job is. They are a tugboat. Like like you said earlier, truck drivers. They take, you know, product from one place to another. Yeah, and and they're just they're just going back home. That's it. This is the end of their mission. They have completed their job. They are going back home. Uh, I uh, I tried going back and checking it. I, I couldn't make out what they were saying of how long it would take them to get home. Several months, I know that. I thought they said 10 at one point. 10 months. Okay, that sounds about right. So, yeah, it would take them a year from where they're at to get back to Earth. Yeah, and that's why they're in they're in stasis at the beginning is they're just supposed to sleep it off. Yeah, and is there some reason they couldn't just go back into stasis for the next 10 months? Well, they they have to do this job. If they do not investigate the stress signal, they forfeit all pay. Oh yeah, I know that, but I but you know, once the once the alien is blown out the airlock, in theory, you know, they could just well, go back into stasis, right? That's what, I mean, well, yeah. that's what Ripley does at the end of the film. And we'll talk about what happens after that in the sequels later. Yeah. Um, yeah, supposedly once they get, that was their plan. You know, they're going to blow the alien out of the ship and then go back in stasis. The problem with getting to the shuttle is that the shuttle only has room for four. And since they're so far out, there is not enough, you know, oxygen, food, whatever, to sustain anybody unless they're in stasis. And that was a, and, and that's the big thing is that they don't want, uh, Ripley doesn't want to use the shuttle originally because, for that reason, because there's not enough supplies to have them all safe in, in that shuttle on the way home so that's yeah they go with the plan of blowing the alien out of out of the out of the lock and and trying to fly the ship that way yeah. though dallas does have a good plan at the, at the at the beginning when they find out that the alien is going through the air ducts just to cut off all the air ducts flame them out yeah it's a good plan, and then, you know, the alien kind of just jumps him. Let's talk about how effective that scene is with such minimal visual. And most of the visual is you looking at a computer screen. At two dots on a computer yeah, screen. Yeah, a 1979 computer screen with a little flashing dot getting closer to the other dot. It's like Pac-Man Pac without <laughs> yeah. the... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when I was a kid, <laughs> or a dot, eight other dots. Yeah, this um, movie's older than Pac Man. <laughs> it is, um, but it is effective because you just see a steady dot and a blinking dot moving closer, and everybody freaking the hell out about it. <laughs> Lambert screams, "Get out of there! Get out of there! Get out of there!" And Ripley yeah, that's being a great in scene. a complete other location, just hearing everybody freaking out. She doesn't even see the computer screen. She's just hearing everybody freaking out. Because she's in a different location doing other stuff to help. Mm -hmm. So she's not even seeing what's going on. She's just hearing people screaming. And then 
a screech on the line. And in that moment, when you see, you know, it's one of the few times we see the alien in full. And that's, you know, that scream. And then, nope, Dallas dead. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's also the way they shot the alien in this movie is that you really never see the complete alien throughout the whole movie. Like you see like the feet or maybe part of the head. But you bits never really of the tail. Yeah. yeah, bits of the tail. And again, that's also become a trope in horror movies mm-hmm. where you don't always see the complete monster. It's it's kind of like Jaws in a way. It's very much Jaws, but done better than Jaws. Yeah. Well, and I, Jaws did that by necessity because yeah. the, the shark didn't work. But, yeah, Jaws uh, did that by accident. <laughs> but it, but it, it works. It, it's really effective when you don't see the creature for the longest time. It's really effective. The interesting thing is, is that we don't know that the what the final form of the alien is going to be, of course. Because at first we see the face hugger. And then we see the chest burster. Mm-hmm. And then we think we are chasing the chest burster. So they've got their little net and they've got their little cattle prod and they're going to find a chest burster. You know, we're going to find a little baby alien. We're going to put it in a net. We're going to throw it in an airlock, shove it into space, and then, you know, go back to sleep, go back home. We're done, you know. And then you've got the little fake out with the cat and everything. And then you've got um, Brett chasing the, the cat. And then you get into the shuttle room and you're seeing bits of the shuttle and you're panning across. And the thing that makes it the most effective is you see him find like the, the shed snakeskin. And if you're smart enough, you're realizing, like, snakes only shed their skin when they grow. Yeah, this thing grew fast a lot. <laughs> but, and they don't really establish how that's possible, because that it would need to consume a lot of calories to do that. Yeah. That's for the sequels to worry about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, is that we've we know that it's grown but we don't know how much or what it looks like we've got no concept other than it's going to be bigger now so we're except expecting something maybe dog sized or or something at at, at biggest mm-hmm. we're just expecting it to be bigger we're not expecting it to be full alien size i mean they could have gone that route and then have the alien grow bigger and bigger throughout the movies. Other mo- other similar movies have done that. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that it's a movie that bears rewatching because when you're watching it the first time, he goes through and he's trying to get Jonesy the cat because the cat's also in the room. And the camera pans across and you can see the alien hiding among the chains and various ship parts. But if you've never seen alien before, you do not know what you're looking at. Because the alien is black and blends in with the background so easily. 
and mm-hmm. you don't know what the final form looks like. Even in rewatch, if you're not paying attention, you can miss it. Yeah. So it's really effective because only in a rewatch do you actually go like, oh, crap. I, I didn't notice that before. <laughs> so, so I absolutely love it because I was watching the rewatch and I was like, oh, shit, turn around, turn around. <laughs> like oh, you became that watcher, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love that scene, but you can see that several times and it really does set you up that by the time you get to the end on the shuttlecraft and it happens to Ripley, you already know before that hand moves that you're like, no, Ripley, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this also has quite a number of jump scares for for their horror movie in the 70s. You yeah, know, like, mostly involving the cat. Mostly involving the cat, but it works. But but you don't actually see the alien until halfway through this movie. The one hour mark. We don't even mark. get to the chestburster scene. Yeah, that chestburster so like, scene comes in at like 55 minutes. Yeah. They don't even get to the area where the, you know, the, the, the tomb or the, you know, where we were talking about. That's a half hour mark. So they this movie takes its time and it doesn't feel like it's wasting time though. Because you need that like we we've talked about this with other films. You do need that 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 time to get people to care about these characters before you start killing them off. Especially yeah. since they're going to subvert the trope so much and make Ripley the the hero. Yeah. Not just the final girl, but like the badass and uh you know as 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 you've been saying as you as uh as you've been saying if people had to listen to ripley this this movie would not even happen if you you know she's the smart one she is the one that with the with the ideas but i I have a question for devo spice because you said you had not seen this in like 30 years yeah so as you're re-watching it what was kind of the most surprising thing to you where you were like oh wow I had not really remembered that or well the most surprising thing was realizing that that was John Hurt uh, <laughs> in the movie yeah. um, uh, a lot of like the, the 70s tech the computer stuff like they walk into this room when there's just lights all over the place blinking lights that's the room where they, they talk to mother and I'm like Okay, okay, okay. Each one of those lights must signify something. How the hell do you read that? What what is that supposed to mean? But, um, so that was just weird. But that's that's always like you know going back and watching a movie from you know 1934 that like tries to predict what you know a space mission will be like in the 1960s or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's really well paced. Um, it's it's you know very atmospheric, very creepy. Uh, I didn't realize how big the 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 ship actually was. I mean, they, it's big enough that there's dripping water falling through parts of it. Yeah, there's um, actually rain on the ship because yeah. it's got like a water cycle in in one part of the ship. That's right. For a crew of seven people. Sure. Well, I mean, we don't know what their cargo is. They they could need it. Yeah. For the cargo. True. True. Did you remember that was Bilbo? No. 
No, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, hey, yeah, okay. <laughs> I had forgotten that was Bilbo as well. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was kind of like Sigourney Weaver was the only cast member I knew going into this. And as we said, this she was the unknown going into this movie. Yeah. And now she's the one everyone knows from this movie. Well, I mean, most of the cast, like, they're so well known for something else. And then true, you were true, like, true. oh, yeah, you... That's right. They were also in this movie, you know. Yeah. That kind of happens a lot when you're watching old films. You're like, oh, I didn't realize he was in that one. Oh, that's who that guy is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like Ian Ian Holm is a it was a huge star, you know. It's just, but he's Bilbo, you know. It's like right, yeah. He's not Ash the Android from Alien, you know. Mm-hmm. I th- I think the thing that surprised me most is is like how slow a burn it is like most of what you remember about the movie is the back half of the movie yeah but it does take its time letting you get to know the characters and really caring about the characters and their world their job how they interact and their relationships to each other yeah like these people work with each other and they're i mean there's a scene where where Parker and Brett try to, you know, kind of talk over or, you know, for lack of a better word, bust the balls of Ridley when they're trying to talk over her. Just, you know, like this is their... Yeah, there was a little bit of sexual harassment going on there. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's some level of friendship between all the cast, all all the crew, because they've obviously worked together for a long time. But again, there's also... We devalue Ridley because she's a woman. We devalue, you know. But also, sometimes you do wonder if if it's not just that she's a woman, but also she's really young. And it does feel like, even though this might not be her first mission, maybe it's one of her first, you know? They also don't respect her rank because she is the third rank officer on this ship. But she's also a warrant officer, which is always like, it's generally kind of like the lowest officer in a lot of things. Yeah. It's always like you're an officer, but you're kind of like just barely an officer is my understanding. You're just the assistant manager. You're not the actual manager. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, yeah, you're technically the boss of me, but you're, like, not really the, you know. You're only the it, boss of me when the boss is in here. Yeah. And so when she tells Ash, like, well, now I've got access to Mother, and I'm going to find out now. Like, you get the sense of like yeah you technically got a title but you don't have any authority with it until everybody else is dead and maybe that's why there was some tension probably because you can see that she's not understanding earlier when she when Dallas keeps deferring to Ash on matters of science And Ripley keeps saying, like, why are you letting him do that? And Dallas says, because it's a science thing. And he gets to make the decision when it's a science thing. Because that's what the company says. 
Yeah, and that it's we mentioned already that comes back over throughout this entire movie. Well, the company says this according to the company, according to the people who pay us, this is your this is what happens. Yeah. Um, which I'm kind of on Ripley's side, like. <laughs> Screw the company. Our lives are on the line out here. Right. <laughs> are you um, really willing to die for your job? Apparently Ripley is not. Yeah, which is why Ripley is the only one that survives. Um, so I, I do kind of get the feeling that while I'm not downplaying the sexism of what they do to her in a few of the scenes, I do get the feeling that some of it is not just the sexism, but maybe her youth and her kind of middle manager rank, you know? Possibly. Could be, yep. So, um, but yeah, it does kind of get the feeling that, like, yeah, sexism has kind of... <laughs> sexism, sexism still exists in the future. <laughs> I mean, they do name the computer Mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is a little ugh. yes, mother. You know, um, <laughs> which makes it a, a funnier later when when Ripley says, "I took the coolant out, mother." <laughs> and 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 then and then mother keeps going like, "Nope, self destruct will keep on happening," and she's like, "You bitch." <laughs> <laughs> Oh. You know what? Screw you. I always hated this ship anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my calf and go home. <laughs> oh, so. And the reason I met, said that Lambert is like the screen queen of this movie is that when they're gathering the supplies to get onto the to the to the shuttle. It's Parker that willing, willingly sacrifices himself to protect uh, Lambert from the alien, and all Lambert is doing is screaming, "Run, bitch, run!" <laughs> and yeah. then she so sacrificed in vain because Lambert still dies, which we never actually see. It's just that, like, you know, we see Parker die, and then we just kind of assume that Lambert also died. <laughs> Well, even if she wasn't killed by well, yeah. the alien, she definitely died in the explosion. Well, yeah. Um, but they never, you know, it's one of those things that they never did. Let's get into the other thing about Lambert, shall we? So, it doesn't come up in this movie. And you can argue whether or not this was the intent original intent for the character or if James Cameron just came up with this later and honestly most people didn't notice it until like this year when the blu-ray came out and you could you know pause it on a 4k tv and zoom in but apparently Lambert is a trans woman oh really yeah in a scene in Aliens, in the sequel, when they are interrogating Ripley over what happened in the Nostromo, they flash up the dossiers with the 
you know, biographical information of all of the dead of the Nostromo. And when it comes up on Lambert, it says that Lambert was born and they use different terminology, but I will use the, the terminology preferred now. Lambert was assigned male at birth and she went through a gender confirmation surgery at some point later in her life and now uh, is female. She lives her life as, as female and that is her true gender. And she became a scream queen <laughs> and became a scream queen after that. So. Yeah. And it really is only like within the last year since kind of the Blu-ray release that anybody's been able to read the dial, like the actual like stuff that's on screen because it, it flashes by very quickly. And it's only been when, when you're able to like pause it in high definition that you can read it. But yeah, apparently ever since aliens canonically it's it's been confirmed that lambert is a trans woman so it it is debatable if this was ever the original intention when dan o'bannon was writing the script and when they were you know when it was being acted by veronica cartwright when they were discussing this in the movie you know yeah uh, and honestly, um, it's even debatable if this was like James Cameron's thing or if this was once again some one of the, the set designers putting in an Easter egg because they assumed nobody would ever see it. Mm -hmm. But they did pull it out and put it in the DVD extras so that it could be read. I mean, it it is there for fans to not only find but you know they wanted people to see this at least now mm -hmm. but it just especially now considering everything yeah um so you can you can argue the the film at the time uh for the first alien film but i do think a lot of people now have found you know I, I know that that, that uh, there are people in the transgender community that are like, awesome, you know, Lambert was trans. That's that's the coolest thing ever. You know, one of the, the members of the Nostromo team was trans. That is so cool, you know? Yeah. Um, which, if that's you, great. You know, we've said it before, representation where you can find it. Um, we talked about it in my Loki rant, you know, representation wherever you can find it. I I don't know if that was in the original plan, you know, mm. or if that's a retcon or if it even matters. If you want to look at Lambert and be like, hey, cool, that's me, then get after it, I guess. As uh, as, as you have said in this podcast before, uh, don't yuck somebody's yum. Yeah. If if you if that's your representation, more power to you. 
yeah, if you're trans and suddenly you're like, I'm going to cosplay Lambert all day, then I, I hope to see you at a con and I, I want to take a picture with you. <laughs> that's going to be awesome. But um, I, I think it's kind of cool. When I first read that, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever read. So, you know, even though that's not my particular representation, I thought it was awesome. So, yeah. yeah. I think that everybody's a little bit down on Lambert because. <sighs> As I said, even the actress to play her was down on Lambert. Even, yeah, even if, but, but maybe unfairly down on Lambert was kind of my point because if a seven foot tall alien, you know, if you're just tooling around the universe and. Honestly, the way that they talk, the other movies talk about the universe of Alien, it seems like this was kind of the first time they ever found aliens. You know what I mean? Well, it, yeah, <laughs> but if you listen to the crew talk, they talk like there are other aliens out there because the, the way they, oh. the way they're talking about the, like, like, it's an alien. I'm trying to think of how they phrased it, but they, they, it wasn't like they were making a big deal. Like this is the first time we've encountered an alien species. It's just, this is the first time we've encountered this alien species. You know a what new, I mean? Yeah. A, a new, okay. a never before seen species. That's the okay, way. They, well, that's the way they it. all right. Well, we never really see. I mean, the, the, thing, the space jockeys, the, but yeah. The, the company seems to know about this because the because Ash is on a mission to get a specimen and bring it back at all costs. But it's not it doesn't seem like humans are just kind of like chilling with other aliens all the time. It's not like right. a Star Trek, Star Wars kind of yeah. deal, you know. Yeah. Um, but if I was just like. I just woke up a few hours ago and suddenly there's a seven foot tall murder alien staring me in the face. I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't be Lambert. I like, would just go back to bed, frankly. I just get back in the pod and, and just out and, and yeah, let it kill me die, in my sleep if it has to. You know? you. <laughs> but everybody wants to think they'd be Ripley, but I'm I'm not sure I wouldn't be Lambert. 90% so, of the people will be Kane. Right. Most people would be <laughs> like, we've all lived through the last two years. I think more than half of the people would be Kane. You'd be like, Kane, put on a mask so you don't get a face hugger. And you'd be like, I don't I don't need a mask. Masks are stupid. <laughs> My cousin didn't wear a mask and he doesn't have a face hugger. Like <laughs> <laughs> Though I have seen masks shaped like face huggers, and those they are they do awesome. make those. I was just gonna yeah, ask. Okay. The, those those are those are pretty cool. I'm I'm not gonna lie, but we we always want to be, especially when it's a woman. You know, we always want to be like, yeah, run run away instead of just standing there and screaming. And I, and I've been that person before. You know, have some survival instinct, but honestly, at that point, where's she gonna run to? I know that that like, yeah, Ripley is is maybe on the shuttle, but honestly, like, you're the last person alive at that point. Maybe she just went, you know what? Screw it, take me. <laughs> like, let just let me die here. 
I'm I'm sick of Maybe. running. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we we've seen that trope in in films too, where the where the where the fighter just gets tired of fighting. Just let the battle end, and maybe maybe you're right. Everybody has a different reaction to trauma, and we see pretty much m- most of the main reactions to trauma in this film in the different characters. Yeah, they each have a has a different fight or flight reflex. But you know, fight or flight is not the only reaction, and mm. we're we're learning that now. You know. Yeah, some people, I mean... There's freeze, there's friend, there's, you know, there's all kinds of different variations. And we're we're seeing that, you know, mm-hmm. in this movie, you know. And Lambert's got the freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parker is definitely the, the fight. He just immediately is like, give me a flamethrower, I'm just gonna go at it. Would Brett count as friend? Yeah, maybe. Because he, he was going to, he was kind of going. He does kind of seem to just, hello, uh, little alien, uh, who is now giant alien. <laughs> uh, maybe you are now sentient and will not want to kill me. And then he was kind of dead. So <laughs> maybe you could call that friend. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the person who is cornered by a lion and goes, nice kitty. <laughs> Yeah. Well, to be fair, if I was cornered by a lion, that's totally what I would do. Yeah, I mean, we have talked many, many times on the show about how I will die trying to pet something I should not try to pet. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, how you die in space, pet- petting a xenomorph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if I were caught in space and came up against an alien, I would definitely try to pet it or hug it or give it food or something. So, um... But but yeah, the the point is is that everybody has varying degrees of trauma response, and I do like that we see it among the crew. So maybe get off Lambert's tits for trying to, you know, for for her particular trauma response is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because until you're in that situation, you don't know how you are going to respond to trauma. Everyone says, though, I mean, like I said, everyone says that they'll be a, a badass and fight, but when push comes to shove, more or less they'll freeze or run. Yeah. But we've seen that already in, in real life over the last two years. When push comes to shove, a lot of people who have, you know, big words don't follow up on those big words. Yeah. Um... Every everybody wants to be Ripley. Everybody wants to be John McClane. Everybody wants, you know, but you might end up Lambert. You might end up Brett. You might end up that little worm Ellis doing cocaine and you know <laughs> being like Bobby, I'm your savior, and then we know how that ends up. Yeah. So. <laughs> Don't be Ellis. <laughs> I'm okay with you being Lambert. Don't be Ellis. <laughs> the um. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed going back and doing this rewatch again. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed going going to see this again, especially since I haven't seen it in so long. And it it hasn't been quite that long for me. I mean, it has been a hot minute since I'd seen it. Not gonna lie. Um, it's it's been lesser since I've seen some of the sequels. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. The the sequel Aliens that hit cable and was like on repeat on HBO or Cinemax or one of those stations. And like every time it was on, I put it on and watched it. So like I saw aliens probably a hundred times when I was in high school, just because it was always on and I watched it every time. But alien, the first one I I saw it like once and then didn't watch it until again, until this afternoon. For me, I kind of was in the same boat is that, all my memories I thought of was of Alien was of Aliens. It's like, oh, I watched a, I you know, when I was a kid, I watched the wrong thing. <laughs> I never, so this is sort of a first view for me, but not, you know, at least the first time in a very long time. Even though I have seen the sequels probably more than I have seen this film. I really do like this film. I mean, th- there's a reason why I did the dumb parody idea for Fumfest this year about this film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, just to just to bring the the uh, audio audience who weren't at Fumfest up to speed, uh, we do a thing at Fumfest every year called dumb parody ideas, uh, where you just do a short parody idea that isn't really worth turning into a full song probably the one that i did which is um the song no air tell me how i'm supposed to breathe with no air can't live can't breathe with no By Jordan Sparks mm. and very unfortunately Chris Brown. Boo. Chris Brown is garbage. Do not support Chris Brown. It's a uh, tell me how I'm supposed to breathe with no air. So tell me how I'm supposed to scream with no air was the the joke. So tell me how I'm supposed to scream with no air. Can't fight, can't scream with no air. Now Nostromo ain't even there. So no air, no air. Um, based off the tagline for Alien. I have been trying to turn that into a full parody for absolute years. Like since the second that song hit the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Since I heard the hook for that song, I that was the first thought in my brain, and I have been trying to turn that into a full alien parody <laughs> this entire time. <laughs> and I think that song came out in like 2007 or something. <laughs> so that is how many years I have been trying to make that a full song, and I finally just gave up and did it for dumb parody ideas. Eh? You ended you ended up being a finalist, so um, not not for that song though. <laughs> but still, the um, I I absolutely uh love this film, and the the first one is kind of near and dear to my heart, even though it's not the one I watch the most. 
so when we were like, well, we're going to do a Fox horror movie, I really wanted to do Alien. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's a good choice. So uh, at the end of every episode, we always ask the question, does this film have the eh, quote unquote Disney magic? But let's just say the magic. Does this film hold up? Devo Spice, you are our guest. Does this film have the magic? Oh, yeah, it absolutely holds up. This is a, this is a classic for a reason. I'm yes. going to say I'm, I'm going to agree. This movie is, is really good. Still good. It's it's a very slow build, but once it gets going, it gets going and it go and it never stops. And it's an amazing movie. Still good after all these years. Yes, definitely with the magic. Yeah, magic across the board. Um, I think that slow build is there for a reason. I really appreciated it. Uh, you you want to seep in this in this world and these people and who they are before you really see it all fall apart. So, uh, yeah, magic. Uh, much approved. Go watch the movie. It's a, it's a good time this Halloween. So, so. Uh, yes, Devo, as a first-time guest, you have the option to make a request for us to uh, watch in a future episode. Uh, do you have your request? I do. Uh, sticking with the Halloween themes, I want to hear you guys talk about Mr. Boogity. Mr. Boogity, a uh, I I have not seen that movie in a long time. Neither have I. And since we got Disney Plus, I've been like, ooh, I should watch that again. And but, here we go. This is another first watch for Kiki. Yeah, this I was have a never TV. This, one. Uh, yeah. this was a TV movie back in the '80s for Halloween. Uh, it is going to be a little after Halloween because uh, we we'll get to it in a few weeks because. Next week will be Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, and we are celebrating it by opening up the Book of Life. Yes. Last year we did Coco for Dia de los Muertos. This year we're doing the Book of Life, and uh, it's uh, going to be very interesting to compare the two Day of the Dead animated movies that are on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. I, I haven't seen the Book of Life, but Coco was amazing. Yeah, and once again, uh, another first watch for me, because we keep running into these things. <laughs> I, I swear I watch movies. It's all I do. It's literally all I do. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I, it slips through the cracks. Yeah. Uh, Devo, uh, do you have anything to plug? I have lots of stuff to plug. Um, so I have a new song coming out on the Fump. Uh, it'll be up uh, from the release date of this episode tomorrow. Uh, so Tuesday the 26th, and it's also in keeping with the with the Halloween tradition. It's it's a movie about the uh, classic horror film Pumpkinhead, which and I actually I debuted it at Con on the Cob last weekend, and it went really well. This was supposed to be my dumb parody idea for Fump Fest, and I didn't have time to do anything for it, so I I, I kind of sat this one out. But after Fump Fest, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do the whole damn song. So now we have a, a dumb parody idea that I've I've expanded into a whole damn song. And uh, you can listen to it for free. Overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll also I'll be appearing at uh, Worldcon in December in Washington D.C. If anyone's going to that, uh, I will be doing a, a concert or two. I don't have my schedule yet, so we we don't know exactly what's what's happening yet. Um, otherwise, I'm at devospice.com. 
I put out an album in 2019 called The Anarchist Joke Book. Um, yeah, my other podcast I do, uh, Manic Mondays, a weekly comedy podcast to take the sting off your Monday mornings. Um, I do the Fumpcast every Thursday night live on Dementia Radio and Twitch with Luke Ski, uh, which is a companion uh, show to the Fump, which is the funny music project at thefump.com. And then I do a show called The Insider, which is a monthly uh, podcast for my hardcore fans who are interested in, you know, what's going on behind the scenes at, at, in, the, in the little world of Devo Spice. I keep forgetting Twitter exists, but I am on Twitter at Devo Spice. I'm on Facebook at Devo Spice. I'm on Instagram at Devo Spice. I'm trying to use Facebook less. I don't use Instagram a whole lot, and I keep forgetting Twitter exists. So I'm not on social media all that much anymore, really, which is better for my mental health, but lousy for my promotion and marketing. But and you do I wa- 17 million podcasts. So. I do, yeah. I, I wanted to mention um, this other thing because it's 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 alien related and it's so cool, but it's it's not me. Um, in 2017, there was an anthology book put out called Aliens Bug Hunt, which has 20 short stories in it by 20 different authors. Um, one of them, the one I wanted to point out was by Scott Sigler, who I know he's a friend of a friend. Um, and he did a, a short story called Dangerous Prey. Which is, it's a story set in the alien universe. All of these stories are. Uh, and it's it's official. All these are canon. Um, but this one is from the Xenomorph's point of view. And it is magnificent. That sounds <laughs> so you, awesome. Yeah, so you get to, to hear how these creatures think and how they see humans. And, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. So check that out. Check out Devo Spice and all that stuff. We will be doing Mr. Boogity in a few weeks. Come back next week for the Book of Life. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. 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 Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at Rewatching the Magic podbean.com Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.